Howdy, podcast listeners. Have you ever wanted to bring the winery experience home? With Somley, you can. Now get the very best Texas wine shipped right to your doorstep. Somley features many of the highest quality small production wines you won't find in retail or restaurants. Check it out for yourself. Sign up, discover, and shop local today at Somley.com. Welcome to This Is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 50. Today, I've got two of the best in the hospitality biz providing some tips for people visiting Texas winery tasting rooms. Victoria Calais and Donna Renee Johnston join me, and it's great to get their behind-the-scenes takes on everything from how to plan your day to joining wine clubs and, yes, tipping. But first, there's some Texas wine news, including 12 winners of Texas Monthly's 2022 Vintners Cup. And stick around for the end when I give out a Texas wine demerit and a gold star. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. The October issue of Texas Monthly names the winners of the 2022 Vintners Cup. These 12 wines were selected by Texas Monthly wine writer Jessica Dupuis and two master sommeliers, Craig Collins and Jack Mason. They work in importing and distribution, respectively. This was a project in collaboration with the Texas Department of Agriculture's Uncorked Texas Wine. These wines were tasted blind with the goal of selecting the best case of Texas wine. And here are the winners. The white wine winners included Adelphos Cellars 2019 Chenin Blanc, C.L. Buteau's 2021 Blanc de Noir, Lost Draw Cellars 2021 Pickpool Blanc, and the Rising Sun Vineyards 2021 Morning Dew White. One rosé made the list. That was the Hilmi Cellars 2021 rosé. And seven red wines were recognized. Chateau Wright Wineries 2019 Lievre Red Blend, forgive my pronunciation, Llano Estacado 2019 Sangiovese from Newsom Vineyard, Longhorn Cellars 2019 Petit Verdot, McPherson Cellars 2019 Petit Syrah from Farmhouse Vineyards, from Crookhouse East Block specifically, Pebble Rock Cellars 2019 Sagrantino, and there were two winners from Pedernales Cellars, the 2019 Tempranillo Reserve and the Pedernales Cellars 2018 Tariga Nacional. So a couple of thoughts on this list. I think this is a great list. Only four of the wines were white, and most of the reds were labeled as single varietal wines rather than blends, and a lot of them are big reds too. Lost Draw and McPherson are the only two wineries that appeared on the list last year, and the rest are new to this list. It's great to see some smaller wineries appear here, like Adelphos, Chateau Wright, Pebble Rock Cellars, and Rising Sun Vineyards. So congratulations to these wineries, and also those mentioned as runners-up. There were 18 of those wineries that got an honorable mention, and you can see those online. You can also register for Texas Monthly Sweepstakes. There are three prize packages, including a Texas Wine Weekend and a case of these great wines. Texas Monthly also recently published a story about St. Genevieve Winery. The title says it all. A West Texas winery, once the largest in the state, has closed up shop. 
St. Genevieve, of course, debuted in the 1980s in Fort Stockton, Texas. And on August the 10th, an online auction was held to liquidate all of its assets. It was owned by Mesa Vineyards. In January 2022, Mesa Vineyards filed for bankruptcy. The winery was once valued at more than $9 million, but was purchased for $1.4 million by a liquidation company. Benedict Rhine was the former winemaker from 2003 to 2019, and she said, It is sad to have experienced the decline of the brand. I think the winery helped put Texas on the map. For myself, I feel extremely proud that I've contributed my knowledge and experience to the winery as winemaker for 16 years. I enjoyed working with the team, and when I left, it was a bittersweet moment as I could see the writing on the wall. Apparently, the vineyard hasn't been tended or watered since the bankruptcy. On Monday, October 3rd, I'll be in Houston to attend the Texas Hill Country Wineries Association Roadshow, and you're invited too. There's an industry panel and trade tasting in the afternoon and then a consumer tasting that evening from 6 to 8. Come meet owners, winemakers, vineyard managers, and more from over 25 Hill Country wineries. They'll each be pouring a selection of wines handpicked just for this event. Tickets are $50 and include wine and light appetizers, and it's limited to 100 guests. October's right around the corner, and of course October is Texas Wine Month. And I'm kicking it off with a meetup at the State Fair of Texas. If you're a podcast listener, you're invited to come enjoy the Texas Wine Garden. Meet me there October 2nd from 4 to 6, and let's taste some Texas wine. If you're coming, shoot me an email so I'll be expecting you, or just show up. Whenever you go to the fair, I hope you'll visit the Texas Wine Garden and try something new. Share your experiences with me on social media, and be sure to tag State Fair of Texas. That's State Fair of TX and the winery that you're drinking. They love that. Another big wine event happening in Dallas will be Friday, October 28th at the Dallas Farmer's Market. They're partnering with North Texas Winery Association and hosting a Texas Harvest wine tasting. North Texas Vineyards will be pouring over 40 local wines. There'll also be live music and a curated shopping experience. That's Friday, October 28th from 6 to 9. Admission is $65. That includes wine sampling and a commemorative glass. Wine pairings and bottle sales are also available. This event has sold out in the past, so get your tickets soon. It's generally been held during the daytime, and I bet moving it to nighttime will make it even more popular. And that's the Texas Wine News. Last month, I was able to provide several lucky listeners with free tasting passes to William Chris Vineyards and Lost Straw Cellars. Wineries, if you've got a tasting experience that you want to share with listeners of this podcast, please let me know. And listeners, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast newsletter so that you're the first to know when I've got a freebie or giveaway. To sign up for the podcast newsletter, visit thisistexaswine.com, then click newsletter sign up. Also, be sure you're following Texas Wine Pod on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and share and comment when you see a post. That really helps grow the podcast. And now for our interview. When it comes to running tasting rooms, my next guests are two of the very best. And that's why I thought it would be fun to get their perspectives on how to get the most out of your visit to Texas wineries. Victoria Calais is the co-owner of French Connection Wines, and Donna Renee Johnston is the administrative director at Kerrville Hills Winery and The Hill at High. 
They've both got a lot of experience in the tasting room and have great tips to share. Here's our conversation. Are you guys seeing a lot of folks that are brand new to wine tasting? We are not seeing a lot of brand new, never been to a tasting room before. I think that may be a little bit different in October because of the Hill Country Passport Program and Texas Wine Month will get a lot of uh, press and a lot of media coverage. So you might see a lot of new people coming in. You'll see a lot of people who are new to Texas wines, but may have a preconceived notion of what that means. Um, But it's always exciting when it's someone new, never been to a tasting room before. I think that gives us the opportunity to kind of introduce them to Texas wines in a way that makes it new and exciting for us as well. What do you think, Victoria? And I would say, first and foremost, um, I visited many wine regions within the U.S. and in Europe, and I've never seen such a strong support of the wine industry as we see here in Texas. It's remarkable. We only basically exist because of the strong support we see within Texas. And we really appreciate it. Without this, we would not be where we at. And we continue to cultivate uh, this relationship, increase that support and do everything we can on our part to try to educate, uh, to try to entertain and um, help each other out. So that being said, we kind of, just like Donna Renee mentioned, we don't see too many people that's, Uh, come to visit the winery for the first time uh, because of our kind of tucked away location where mostly word of mouth. So most likely our guests already been through the wineries and we were recommended there and they come to us next. But what's very interesting to see is uh, quite often we see parents bringing their kids when they turn 21 to their favorite wineries, and that's where they start educating them. And it makes for us a very interesting and exciting experience because we get to be the ones introducing them to wine uh, all together. And we do spend a bit more time explaining everything, kind of doing wine one-on-one tasting. That sounds fun. I think I was surprised when I first started visiting Texas tasting rooms because I had visited tasting rooms all over the world, like like you said, Victoria. And I was impressed by how um, how professional the experience was and also how relatable. So I, I was never made to feel that I needed to have a certain level of expertise to even walk through the door. People may visit wineries that that have, you know, limited knowledge about Texas wine. And so I hope that they'll always feel welcome to come. And I know that you do everything that you can to make them feel welcome and to kind of meet them where they are, wherever they are on their wine journey. Um, What are some of the ways that you try to um, bring an appropriate level of education to folks that may walk through your door? We have... Pretty much, we're lucky enough that every single person we have that working in a tasting room has a background of uh, wine certification, wine education. So, and they all kind of seasoned and experienced folks. So, it's a matter of reading the group. You definitely don't want to uh, go way overhead with the knowledge for someone who's just starting with the wine. 
or just it's just simply gonna overwhelm them and they might not ever want to be back so it's about reading the group so in that reading the group starts from the get-go from the moment they enter uh, your tasting room so it's quick conversation will kind of help you to determine which route to take. And also once uh, they comfortably sit down and ready to do their tastings, you do a little bit more questions and then kind of see how it goes, how it flows. Some people prefer to know more. Some people prefer just to enjoy the wine and enjoy conversation with each other. But that kind of makes it a big part of experience of them feeling welcome. You definitely don't want to come out, uh, come out snobby, or too pretentious, uh, you're never going to see those customers again. So we try to tailor it to the level that is comfortable for each customer. And I think it's a great uh, practice for basically for everyone. Um, as you want to educate uh, your customers, you want them to come back and you want them to love your wine. That's interesting. We have a very different starting point but we both end up at the same place. And what I mean by that is our staff is a lot newer, a lot younger, doesn't have the same depth of wine knowledge that they might have at French Connection. But we really encourage them to, even if you don't know all that you need to know about that wine, there's always you're always going to have backup. There's always somebody, either a manager or myself, or John will be around to back you up as far as wine knowledge. But the goal is to be friendly, to greet the customers where they are, to make them feel welcome. If you're learning, then it's a learning experience for them as well. Um, always be pleasant and don't let your lack of wine knowledge destroy your confidence in treating people um, as invited guests. We want everyone to feel welcome in the tasting room. If there are questions that maybe my staff doesn't know the answer to, they will find the answer. They Even if it comes to, I'm going to take your email address and I'm going to find out the answer and I will email you afterwards so that your questions are answered. But we want them, the, the guests, to feel as welcome and as open to asking questions as possible, even with the staff that may have limited knowledge. And I got to add, when I just started working in a tasting room, it was kind of terrifying experience for me because I had very little wine knowledge, right? So I was like, oh, my goodness, what if they're going to ask me very hard questions and I'm not going to know the answer and how that's going to look, how that's going to make them feel and me feel. So I was able to always find a way to connect, right? Humor always helps. So you start joking around, uh, you try to make the connection. So it's at the end, it's about them feeling comfortable. We want everyone to be comfortable and for you to be comfortable with the guests and hope uh, to enhance the overall experience. I think the first decision that people have to make when they sit down in a tasting room is, are you going to try a tasting flight or buy a glass or buy a bottle? Those are often the choices that you may have. What might be the pros of trying a tasting flight versus a glass or bottle? And what is most common? I do think when they come to us, they, if they've never been there before, then for certain a tasting is going to be the best choice because it will show them a full range of the wines that we produce and kind of tells the full story of who we are and what we are 
doing in wine production. I've often had people who, well, I don't like dry wines or I don't like white wines. And I'm always encouraging my staff and myself to kind of let that, even though the tasting flight is, pre, is pretty set in what we are going to introduce you to, you can also be flexible. In, and I've had at least two or three people who I've said, let's start this tasting. And if we get about three wines in and you don't enjoy anything, then I'm not going to charge you. And that will, you know, at least you've experienced some different wines. I've never had anyone say, well, I'm not going to pay for that at the end of three wines. They always are willing to at least open their minds up a little bit to, especially the sweet wine drinkers who it's, it's a little harder if it's just a red wine drinker to try the whites, but sweet wine drinkers will really want to be a little bit more open to the possibilities that they might be missing. So I want, what I was going to add kind of help tips for the, for the guests when they come over uh, when it comes to choosing whether to go with the flight bottle or uh, glass. So if it's a place you're visiting for the first time, give them a try. Try to go with their flight. Let's say if your intention initially was just to have a glass, what you can do if you're walking as a couple, you can always split a tasting. That is never, ever, ever a problem. Please do that. In that case, you go through it faster and each one of you figure out what you want to do, uh, if you want a glass or a bottle after that. Uh, also, something to keep in mind, not every single winery or tasting room structured the same way. So if it's a bigger, bigger production and they've been in, in uh, business for a while, they're obviously going to have more SKUs, more wines available to try. Just not every single winery is going to have multiple flights available. And that's usually a confusion if someone comes in and they say, oh, we want to do just a sweet wine flight mm -hmm. or we want to do just red wine flight. That doesn't exist for every winery, not because we don't want you to try just red or just sweet wines. It's just a small production or a newer winery. We only have so many wines available and we put our best wines out there for you to try as a part of the flight. Uh, if you be, try to be open-minded, right? So there's so many people that prefer certain varieties, let's say Chardonnay, right? Uh, you do find a little bit of Chardonnay here in Texas, uh, but overall it's not the grape you're gonna see, not the variety you're going to see in every single tasting room. So if you try to be open-minded and try maybe something that can be recommended that would be close to Chardonnay without being Chardonnay, that will help them to discover new things and new things that do great for us here in Texas. Uh, and of course, if someone wants to do just white wine or, or just a glass of wine and they're visiting for the first time, we always try to kind of uh, have them to stir in the right direction and let them try a couple of choices before they commit to a glass or a bottle. And just like Donna Renee mentioned, um, I think it's kind of common for everyone. If you start the flight and you feel like that's not your style, you can always say, you know what, I don't think it's going to work out for me. Uh, and most of the place is going to be totally fine with that. I'm going to charge you. And it's all about you and what you like and what you don't like. I want to talk a little bit about reservations. People who visited Hill Country particularly, or wineries all over Texas for that matter, many years ago, probably 
did not make a reservation. They just showed up, right? But but times have changed, and now many places do require reservations. So can you talk a little bit about reservations and um, and also how long, like if you buy a bottle of wine and want to sit at a table for two hours and drink it, is that okay? I mean, what are kind of the guidelines around making and keeping your reservations and then also a time limit on your reservation? Sure. So things changed quite a bit since uh, COVID, as we all experienced. So as far as reservations, it's pretty much different for every single winery. So if you're planning your trip to the hill country, it it is very helpful to kind of do a little bit of research. Uh, or if you try, if it's a word of mouth and you're trying to visit the winery on the same day, just give them a call, right? Lots of places nowadays prefer reservation. Uh, the reason being there is limited space, limited staff, uh, the struggle with staffing is kind of across the board for the entire industry. We just want to make sure we have dedicated person that can spend time with you and do your tasting and no one feels stressed out or left out. So, and with the limited space, we want to make sure we have a table dedicated just to you and uh, where we can have you do the tasting. So kind of things to consider. Not everyone has big uh tasting room space, not everyone has enough staff for the tasting. Um, as far as keeping the time, lots of wineries do special kinds of tastings, and those are strict as far as the timing goes. Let's, For example, they do them only on an hour. So if you're running late, as a courtesy, just give a winery a call and see if they still can take you or your, if your reservation can be moved a little bit later in the day, right? Uh, some places like our timing is not quite as strict, but at the same time, we do want to know in general if the party is running late so we can make plans or rotate tables or uh, rotate our plans all together. So it does help us a lot. And also quite often, let's say a group is uh, on the bus, right? So there is a timing, certain timing. They already have reservation lined up for the entire day. So let's say if you're running late to us, and need to be at the next winery at a certain time, we kind of need to know how late you're arriving to tailor, to shorten the tasting, or make sure we still get through the tasting and you make it to your next destination in time. Um, and as far as um, hanging around, again, every single winery has different set of rules or preferences. So for us, we do have a main for example, we have a main tasting area, the patio, and we had furniture kind of set outside the patio. So you have the table for yourself for two hours, and after that, we give uh, guests options to move on to the to the uh, shaded furniture or to the Adirondacks up front. So in, it's going to be different for every winery. Just be kind of mindful of that. That um, not everyone has much room and has lots of groups coming in and out. It sounds like communication is key just to make sure everyone is um, aware that, that you may be asked to move. And that's just to make room for more guests in the tasting space. Exactly. We are set up so that we actually have one tasting room where reservations are not so mandatory, not so important. The Kerrville Hills location, the Hill at High uh, tastings are by reservation only. We can do glass or bottle service. 
without a reservation. Um, reservations, I think, make your experience better. If you call ahead, you they know to expect you. It's just like going over to someone's house. You can show up and they may or may not be in the middle of, you know, cooking dinner or getting ready to go somewhere. They're, they just aren't expecting you. And you may have a different experience. But if you call and everybody knows you're coming, we can assign someone to you as your associate who can dedicate their time because they know you're coming. It just is a much more pleasant experience. I would say if you have a group of six or more, reservations are absolutely mandatory. There's just too much going on now in the Hill Country, too many guests coming at one time to, to expect to walk in with a group of larger than six and not have it be um, awkward for the staff, awkward for you. It just makes every day, everybody's day more pleasant if you make reservations for groups larger than six. One of the things that we talked about in the beginning was sort of what are the expectations? And I, I, I use this analogy a lot. If you go, to, if you and I say, let's go to dinner and let's go to dinner in Fredericksburg. If we say, let's go to dinner in Fredericksburg, you know what? Let's go to Tubby's. It's easy. It's, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of money. It won't take us long. We just have, you know, let's just do that. We can sit outside. It'll be fine. You and I know what the expectations are and we know what we're going to get when we go in there. I have the, I order the same thing every time I go to Tubby's. But if you say, you know what, I'd like a little, let's go to autos one level up, a couple of levels up in price in dining experience and all of those things. But we still know when we walk in that autos is going to be very different from Tubby's. I think one of the challenges that we face as wineries is we don't have that same sort of expectations are set before you walk in the door. Does that make sense? That there are some people can walk into any winery and we have people all the time who come into Kerrville who expect us to have sweet wines and we don't have sweet wines, but because of where we are and because of some of the clientele that come in, we have to manage those expectations. I think Victoria's what she said about how many SKUs you have and, and what this is a small boutique experience. We're creating wines based on the fruit that we get or our winemakers preferences or, you know, all of those things that go behind the scenes that I don't think a lot of customers understand. Does that make sense? And so if you are planning on experiencing new wineries, do a little research, go to their website, go online, go to Facebook or Instagram or any social media site and kind of, you know, do a little bit of research on what they have to offer you and where you may or may not fit in the best. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And if I can kind of piggyback on that too, uh, and I think Shelly, you mentioned it too about being open-minded. Yeah. You just, let's say you're hardcore cap drinker and you're used to drinking Napa caps or things we need to keep in mind and educate our guests is that we might have cab in Texas as well, but Texas cab is not going to taste anything like Napa cab. Right. We are not in Napa, different climate, so many things that's different for us as far from, as from growing conditions from vineyard to winery that is just not going to taste the same. 
But if you learn to appreciate and love the style of wines that Texas offers, that kind of going to make change your life, literally. Right. The same, it's kind of practice, the same practice for everywhere. Let's say in Europe, you go to Burgundy, you don't ask them for a cab in Burgundy, right? That's not going to be expected to be there, mm-hmm. right? The same for us here, too. Besides the wine, different, the same varieties tasting different, we're not going to have the same range of varieties, let's say, you used to see in California or Italy or, or France. So we grow what does well in Texas. We try to support Texas wine industry, Texas growers, and Texas vineyards. And we work with the fruit that grows well for us here in Texas. The good news is that Texas has so much diversity in the varieties that, that do well here. So you're, you're not just yeah. going to go to every winery and get the same thing for sure. That's that's the beauty of it. And there's also different appellations and the same grape from different appellations going to taste quite different too. So it's super fun. As soon as you stay open-minded about it, that makes the experience so much better. Winemaking is such an art and, you know, Victoria and I are lucky enough to work for and with two really, really amazing winemakers who both have a very, very different point of view. And if we go to some of the other wineries where it's very small production and it, the, the winemaker's point of view is really going to shine through. And I think we're lucky enough in Texas to have a lot of those wineries where, you know, the John just came out with the Terraldigo. It's very different from the Terraldigo at Pernella Cellars because he and David are very different winemakers. So I it's an ex, it's exciting. It's sort of like going to a different art gallery. Each one, each artist is presenting you with their point of view. Ben has a very distinct point of view. And to be able to experience his wines at French Connection is is really exciting. And it it it's different from vintage to vintage. And so I think that's really the blessing of Texas wines is still being able to experience the art of each individual winemaker. Yeah, each winery has a character. <laughs> Tasting room. In more ways than one. Yeah. Exactly, yes. exactly. I think the the tip about just do a little bit of research. So if you're only wanting to taste sweet wines, there are certain places that you should probably not, not visit. Um, and similarly, if you were wanting to take your children or your dog, I don't know if any wineries allow dogs, but... I know some do allow children and some specifically don't. So there are a number of different um, angles that you may want to consider for your party. Or if you're a large party, you certainly want to do your homework. And as well, all of these things are really amplified on Saturdays, it seems, because that is the busiest day um, to visit wineries. That is so true. That's absolutely true. The busiest day. So it's always the most challenging for staff. Uh, to try to accommodate the guests and make sure everyone has pleasant experience. And a very, very good point. Lots of policies changed since COVID and lots of places have uh, restrictions on as far as the kids and kids, dogs. And also another thing to consider, outside food. Uh, lots of wineries do not allow bring any outside uh, food or non-alcoholic drinks. So it that's another thing to research before you go to the winery. Because uh, nowadays, uh, quite a few folks have different uh, 
diets they on, dietary restrictions, allergies, and they do like to bring their own food options. So just do your research, give winery a call and see if they can, they will allow you to bring your own food. And also quite often, um, it's really good idea to actually eat during, before, after your tasting. So if you're planning to have a lunch at the winery and you bring your own lunch, give them a call, ask them if they can spend extra time enjoying their lunch and do the tastings while they're there. Absolutely. Wine tasting days are not your diet days. They are your cheat days. Uh, there have been all kinds of research about how alcohol affects you especially on an empty stomach. And if you have, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So plan accordingly. I think you will enjoy your day better if you don't get what I describe as over your skis at the first winery, um, which is something else that Victoria and I had talked about discussing here is feeling absolutely okay with dumping wine. If you taste a wine and you like it, you don't have to drink the whole uh, pour. You can't feel free to spit or to dump the wine. It's not going to hurt anybody's feelings. If it allows you to taste more wines and have a better experience at the end of your day, then we are okay with that. We're here to enjoy ourselves, but nobody wants at the end of the day to have behavior that they're embarrassed about or and we certainly, from the tasting room side, don't want to have to cut you off. Um, it just creates such an awkward situation for everyone. And I think the point about food is really important. Food and drink water um, throughout the day. It Even into September, October, it can be very hot in the hill country. So you want to drink water to hydrate because of the heat, but also because of the wines that you're drinking. You, I think you, you just have a better experience overall if you sort of pace yourself and treat this as a special day. Um, don't worry about eating too much cheese or, you know, fruit or crackers or whatever. Just enjoy yourself and help the wines, um, help yourself to experience the wines in a way that will be more meaningful. And I also want to mention, so it's simply going to hurt the next day. It's going to hurt really bad. So that's definitely something you don't want to go through. And it's also kind of to add to the point, uh, Donna Renee points, that it's marathon, not a sprint. It's not about bragging rights. So bragging that she visited eight wineries in a day, uh, it's really not that cool. It's going to hurt the next day. And how much of that day you're going to actually remember? How many wineries or wines you're going to remember from the day? So us, uh, as uh, folks that kind of do tastings on a regular basis and done uh, lots of the different regions, like for me, my comfortable number of wineries a day is two. Uh, if I'm pushing it and really, really pacing myself, three. But three, that's when I max out. I cannot do more than three wineries a day. And I would start in the morning after a big breakfast, have first visit and go lunch. Second visit, a little bit of break, and a third winery. But that's kind of uh, ideal situation. You get what's called palate fatigue. Yes. So simply after visiting too many wineries, they all the wines kind of start tasting the same. Yep. So your whole experience is skewed at that point. 
So that's better just to stop and come back the next day. I do think three is the magic number. Two is two is optimal if you have some really nice wineries that you can spend a good quality time at. But three is actually the three for me is the magic number. Um, there's usually one in there that I spend less time at than the others. But um, that way you can actually find wines that you want to take home with you, that you you may join a wine club. You, you just have a better experience overall if you try to limit to three and not use the experience as kind of we're going to check these off the list. That's yeah. actually my limit as well. And one thing I like to do is when I'm planning the three, I try to give myself a variety of experiences. Uh -huh. So maybe one is a sit down with a winemaker. Maybe one is a walking tour that includes the vineyard and the production facility. And then one is like an elevated tasting that has food so that there's more variety than just at each place, you know, sitting down, plowing through six wines or what have you. Um, I think it's fun to break it up like that. Yeah, and I'm honestly ready for a nap after the third For one. sure. I do not want to go anywhere mm -hmm. else. <laughs> yeah. There's been some press lately that tastings in Napa are twice as expensive as they were six years ago. And I wonder if you have seen similar trends in Texas and tasting fees. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about the topic that is still a bit of a mystery to me, I have to admit, which is tipping I have not seen that trend here. I've seen several, I've seen probably the same articles that you've seen about the, just how those tasting fees have just gone up and up. Fortunately, I have not seen that in Texas. Um, I know for, we, we try to, if we're going to raise the price, we want it to be because there's more value there for you, not just an arbitrary, we're going to raise the price. Prices have gone up everywhere, but I do think, and in fact, I don't see bottle prices in Texas have increased that much in the last, especially in the, not in the last six or seven years. Um, I think we understand, you know, we all are pay, are going to the same grocery stores as you guys, and it we all understand how prices have gone up. And if we can keep things reasonable for you, wine is a luxury item. Um so if it's going to be one of the first places where you cut costs, if you're feeling that pinch and we want it to be as accessible for as many people as possible. I, I don't know whether the Napa is a push or a pull, whether it's let's just raise prices because we can. Um, but we're not, I don't see that same trend. I'd say, um, so a lot depends on, the winery, right? So we kind of based our prices uh, on the price of the fruit, um, mostly, um, and uh, fruit, labor, and all that good stuff like that. Uh, things to consider is if the winery is pouring Texas wines, it's going to be one price uh, for tastings. If it's, uh, let's say, California wines, so mixed bag, it might be different. Uh, price for tastings because of the different price they pay for the California fruit or California wine. Uh, also, another thing to consider, as Donna Renee mentioned, we have seen, we all seen prices, change, prices changing in the past what, six, eight, 12 months. Um, on our end, for example, our uh, transportation costs skyrocketed 
it's it's absolutely mind blowing how much uh, the price went up on the transportation. The price went up on fruit, and we also uh, see quite a bit of glass shortage. Mm-hmm. Besides, the prices for glass went up. There's a shortage of glass. So all those things considered. We might see in the future uh, a bit of a raise in tasting uh, fees. I won't be surprised just because of what we have to pay on our end um, in the past, as I said, in the past year. And and tipping. Let, let's talk about tipping. That's uh, I, I have to admit it's something that I'm always a little uncertain how to handle because when I started visiting wineries, you know, eons ago, tipping wasn't really a thing. And now it's a thing. And I think that just like you should tip someone at a restaurant, I think that tipping your server is is a great thing. But I'm always a little bit uncomfortable about how much. And if you join the wine club, then do you not need to tip because they're getting a kind of a bonus for that? But what do you think about tipping? And how common is it? As it's been more and more difficult to find uh, good staff. I think tipping has become a little bit more critical. I think people are looking for those tips um, just to kind of supplement their income in ways that we all know every, the price of everything has gone up and we have to pay our employees more and more. Tips can be very helpful in making it uh, worth someone's while to spend their valuable time working in a winery. I know that there are some wineries, especially some of the bigger ones, that have moved away from tipping, and um, they and they see it as sort of it's a it's part of their business model that they they want their employees to be to work more on commit they want the commissions to be more important than the tips, and I and that's a point of view. And honestly, it would be wonderful if we were large enough for that to happen for us. We're just not yet. And by commissions, you mean uh, like a bonus if someone joins the wine club? Yes. Well, no, like if, if you come in and you, uh, I'm your tasting room associate and I, um, and you buy three bottles from me, I'll get a commission on those three bottles. Okay. Or I'll get a commission on my gross sales for the week or my gross sales for the month. Um, And I, what that model does is it, it, it drives them to sell the wines more than sell their own story or their own. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's a different way of looking at it. I I don't think either one is right or wrong. Um, I do. My staff does appreciate it when you tip them and it's a reflection of the service that they provided. There's even, I heard of one winery that has a mandatory gratuity included in the tastings. I'm not, I'm, I'm not that sold on that model. Um, if somebody explained it to me in a little, a little bit differently, maybe I would be, but I think if it's a mandatory gratuity, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of a mandatory gratuity, but um, tipping is very appreciated for our staff. Um, it, it keeps them engaged and, um, I, it, it helps supplement their income in ways that um, when you're small, you just are not able to do it in the same way. And so it, it definitely helps them feel motivated and feel like it's a reward for their work. I know the places where 
they don't allow tipping or tipping is included in part of the sale, um, what I would encourage you to do if you, if you can't tip at that certain location, but you had an extra wonderful experience to go to find out where they're, um, whether it's TripAdvisor or Yelp or Google, find out their preferred um, place for reviews and give that server a nice review. Because I know some of the places that operate mainly on commission, they will look at the number of reviews for each associate and that works into their commission structure as well. So if the, if your server says, Oh no, we don't accept tips. Then I would then the follow up question would be, well, where would you like me to give you a good review? I like that. Yeah. I'd say, uh, I agree with, uh, Donna Renee on everything. Um, every wine, every winery is structured differently. Uh, for example, at our place, we have zero commissions. We will all work as a team, so there is no commission awarded to any single individual. So it's all team effort. So if you sign up any club member, it, it's considered a teamwork. Um, as Dana Rene mentioned, uh, there are places that do take tips, uh, and the employees feel really rewarded, appreciated, as Donna Renee mentioned, uh, it does help us to keep our employees, wonderful employees. Most of them have to commute uh, at least an hour to and from work every day. So it keeps them motivated, keeps them happy. And especially with the recent, all the uh, rising costs and everything, it definitely helps them uh, stay in place. Uh, there, there are plenty of winners that do not allow tips. So as Donna Renee mentioned, maybe uh, put a good word for them out there on social media, on any platform that takes reviews. Also, maybe bring some cash with you. They're, if they're white, if the winery is not set up for credit card tips, uh, just leave cash. Uh, cash is always appreciated. Another thing to consider for the guest is um, how much to tip, right? So it's all personal preference. Um, let's say... For every winery, there is already a percentage in place, plus there is an option of a custom tip. Let's say if you uh, had a some sort of reserve experience in buying a case of wine, right? Maybe tip not on the whole amount, including the tap, the, the, the cost of the case, but rather create a custom tip that you think will be uh, adequate for your experience, right? We have not mentioned it back to the cost of the tasting fees. Lots of wineries have this uh, structure in place that with the, with the purchase of certain amount of bottles, your tasting fee will be waived. So that's such a huge benefit for you. If you like wines, buy wines, and you don't have to pay tasting fee. Uh, and every winery has it a little bit different. So maybe uh, look online or once you arrive at your tastings, you can um, ask about that as well. I would rather somebody walk out with a bottle of wine than if it, if it takes me saying, I will waive this tasting fee if you add one more bottle to your purchase. I would rather them walk out with a bottle of wine than with just, you know, they, they paid whatever their tasting fee was and they walk out without it. It, it works out for the customer and it works out for us. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy to use that whenever I can to encourage people to buy wine because that's really ultimately what we're in business for is to sell our wines and to um, 
to get those wine bottles into your home cellar. That's where we want them. That's where they're supposed to be. It's like adopt a pet. We want you to adopt our wine bottles and take them home and treat them very well. So, yeah. Ultimately, the winery will survive by selling the bottles versus selling the tasting fees. Right. Yes. Very true. Very true. When I, we've touched a little bit on if you have exceptional experience that you can go write a review somewhere for an individual server and for your experience somewhere. What are other ways that people who are really into your wine or the experience they've had at your winery uh, that they can support you publicly? Uh, Just, uh, just share with their friends, talk about us uh, with their friends, uh, with co-workers. We do get so many uh, folks coming to us because a friend recommended, family member recommended. Uh, if you have a wine group, uh, maybe bring a bottle to share, talk about us. Uh, but social media is a huge platform to share your great thoughts. And by the way, speaking of social media, if you do happen to have not a great experience if something went wrong you think during your visit just reach out to us let us know maybe it's someone had an off day right maybe something that normally doesn't happen happened there was some sort of misunderstanding somewhere along the line maybe don't jump to conclusion and go straight to social media to voice your opinion things happen we're all there to make sure you have the best experience no one's there to make sure you're a miserable individual when you walk out of there that's not our goal we're there to please you to entertain you to educate you so if you think that something went wrong reach out there's always most of the wineries are quite small so you always can reach out to manager to the owners and uh, and uh most of the places will help you to understand what happened, get through it, and invite you back for a repeat visit and see if we can improve on uh, on your next visit. And there, yes, I had a really actually personal example of that recently. There was a restaurant that's new in the area, and everybody there was all kinds of buzz about it. And I had two experiences that were just not great. And I reached out to the owner. And I, I did go to Facebook because I couldn't find an email online. I went to Facebook and instead of putting it on Facebook, I sent them a Facebook message. So it was private. It was between me and the owner. He could not have been nicer about it. He even said that he would use my email as a teaching moment for his staff. And he was very appreciative of the fact that I didn't put him on blast on social media, but that I went to him directly. And I think Victoria and I have both experienced the opposite where they're blasting you on social media. When if, if they had just had a conversation with you, everything could have gone very differently. But um, yeah, I, I do think it's important to reach out. What there's a, what is the expression praise in public and uh, criticize in private. I think if, you know, sometimes they're not going to respond very well to you, but 99.9% of the time, if you let them know behind the scenes, they're going to try and fix the problem or they're going to give you some more information that clarifies what happened in that experience. I, I, I think it's very important to, to consider the fact that we're all small business 
people um, struggling to make a dollar and to please our customers and to provide the best service and the best wines we can. And sometimes you're going to fall short, but we'd rather you be a partner in us getting better than we automatically become adversaries. That makes sense. And I think not everyone's aware or no, even knows. Let's say you visited the winery, you like certain wines, you bought bottles to take home. You come home and for some reason the bottle doesn't taste the same, tastes off, let's say, right? You know, every I can guarantee you, every single winery, if you reach out to them and tell them what happened, right? So the wine does not taste right, doesn't something's wrong with the bottle the bottle will be replaced. We're not HEB where you can't return or uh, bottle, bottle's not going to be replaced. Although I, I'm speaking, I don't know, maybe, maybe HEB does it. But what I'm saying is that we all, small wineries, we will happily replace that bottle and let you enjoy the wine that you intended originally to enjoy. Don't be shy. Bring us a bottle back or reach out to us via email. We'll send you another email. Yeah, that reminds me of a topic that we talked about earlier that I there was a point that I wanted to make. And that is I remember when I first started visiting wineries and someone would pour a sample for me, I felt like I owed them my thoughts on the wine, which I couldn't even really articulate well. But I just felt like they wanted me to say, oh, that's really good. Or, oh, I really like this one. Uh, You know, I like it's really fruity. But in reality, I'm guessing that the people that are working in the tasting rooms, they don't need that kind of feedback from you. And so it kind of takes some of the pressure off of of how a person feels that they need to respond. I mean, basically, you can ask questions about the wine, but whether or not you like it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, right. Right. Yes. Yes. I agree. If you think about a, uh, think about you on the other side of the tasting bar are like a, a, a teacher, kindergarten teacher. And I am introducing you to my quintuplets, my five babies. And you say, oh, I like this one. Ugh, I don't like that one. Well, those are my babies. So we, you know, we can get sort of personally invested in the wines that we're pouring for you. I, when I first came and tasted Texas wine, I remember I was going on a trip with my, you know, kind of a, a tour with my sister. And I remember driving out here from Austin and in my head, I was, this is the first time I've ever uh, done a Texas wine tour. So it was back in 2010. And I remember driving out here telling myself, if you don't like it, nobody needs to know that. Just keep it to yourself. If you don't like it, nobody needs to know that. Because I was a big fan of French wines, a big fan of California wines, not a fan of Texas wines at the time. And And I thought, you know, but I had also had my own business and I knew nobody wants to hear that their product is bad or that you don't like it. And, you know, don't don't yuck someone else's yum. They're selling this one. Somebody obviously likes it. And so some of that you can keep to yourself. Now, if you feel like the wine is off, if you feel like there's a note in there that doesn't seem right, for certain, you, we absolutely want to know that. But I, but I, that's an interesting point, Shelley. That you know, we're not looking for you to make a comment about every wine. We'd like to know if there's one in particular that you liked, because it may inform either what maybe there's a wine in on our list that you really like, 
and it's similar to a wine that we have that's maybe a reserve wine or something. Well, if you enjoy that, maybe we'd like to pour you some of this that you might enjoy even more. Um, mm -hmm. I, so, I, yeah, I'd say the beauty of this world that we all have different opinions and different tastes, right? That what makes the world go around would be horrible if everyone has the exact same taste. So as much as we would love for you to love each one of our wines, uh, it's it's the, in reality is most likely it's not going to be the case. Oh, it might be the case, right? So it's okay. It's totally, totally, totally fine if there are certain wines you don't like. It's not your cup of tea. It's great. And you can express it also in a, in a nicer manner, a nicer way. And let's say if I kind of sense that let's say you like more reds than you like whites uh, and you're excited about it and you show that excitement, I might have extra red and I'll happily pour mm -hmm. it for you because you did not enjoy the whites that much. It's just that sometimes um, harsh comments are difficult to process, right? So just like you would be with, with your friends or with your coworkers, like being nice is always a good idea. Uh, for some reason, we have a one of our tasting room associates, a really good friend of ours, uh, he has a great quote. He said, there is public and there is public on alcohol, <laughs> right? Oh. So all of a sudden, all the lines get blurred, mm -hmm. right? So in, it, it's changed in a totally different experience, totally different way you communicate with others. So just kind of keep that in mind. We all people just like you are. We work there. We want to make your experience great. But we also do get hurt and we have feelings. <laughs> so just be gentle. But I also absolutely love, love, love uh, when people engage uh, during their tasting, when they uh, ask questions or maybe they don't understand something. Sometimes people say, oh, this you mentioned to me this wine is dry, but how come I feel like it's sweet? That's, a, that's so, great. Yes. That's great. Yeah. And I will happily explain to you why you feel like this particular wine tastes sweet to you, although it is fermented to dry. So all those things are great and being engaged and letting us know what you like, what you don't like in a gentle manner. Very, very appreciated. Just asking questions based on what you're tasting in the wine is always encouraged. It it and engage those conversations are some of the the most exciting. And it makes it more enjoyable for the customer and more enjoyable for the the staff to really engage on that level of well, I'm tasting. I get some, you know, why is it that in the back my mouth feels kind of dry now after I or it you know it makes me feel like I'm salivating. Those kinds of questions that lead to in-depth discussions about wine are, I mean, that's why we do this is those kind of geeky moments to talk about wine, like on that level. We've talked about how really um, the winery wants to have these magic moments where a light bulb kind of goes off and you say, Oh, I've never had this variety or I've never tried a wine of this style. And this is really working for me. I think I want to take some home, but it seems that there's a fine balance between encouraging people to make purchases and to join wine clubs and being so salesy that it doesn't seem genuine. So can you talk about what people can expect when it comes to, you know, kind of closing the sale, if you will? I, I do think that wineries are in the business of selling wine and buying bottles when you do tastings is always appreciated. Um, and in fact, that's why we're not, we're not bars. We're not restaurants. We are wineries. 
selling wine. And so that is our goal always. And hopefully if you are coming to visit wineries, that is also your goal to, to find wines that you can bring home with you and enjoy with your friends, with your family as part of your lifestyle. Now, having said that, um, those relationships we hope will last longer than just that one experience. If that means you do a tasting and you don't buy wine at that time, but you come back and have a glass with your friends um, or you come back several times and join the wine club eventually. Um, we it, it is a, more about relationships in the long run. Uh, wine club is one of the last places, you know, I can go to restaurants in Austin. I could go once a week and I could go for six months and the staff wouldn't recognize me. They wouldn't know me. And they certainly wouldn't give me a discount just for showing up. Wine club is one of the last places where you get that kind of high touch treatment or you should high touch treatment. The wineries know you, you are invested. You are almost like a partner with them in their business, in their uh, goals, in the mission of that winery. And if they're doing their job right, they should know your name when you walk in the door. So I think wine clubs are one of the last places where you can get treated well for your support of a business. Um, having said that, I understand that a lot of times you just, you want to do a wine tasting, but you're just not, it's just not at a place, either you're traveling or you, you know, you're not at a place where you can buy bottles of wine. And we understand that, but our business model is based on people buying wine. You would expect, um, uh, at the end of every tasting, um, to be asked if you want to take any bottles home with you. Uh, every winery is different. Everyone's structured differently. Some of them is going to be a little bit more aggressive with their sales and with their club signups. Just kind of be prepared. It's going to be a different style from winery to winery. Just don't take it personally. Everyone would love for you to have a great experience and possibly join the club. That's what helps uh, the wineries to survive, especially in the hard economic times. It's kind of a... Uh, uh, our helps us stability, right? Financial stability. But again, you don't feel obligated to join the club, right? Uh, read carefully about the benefits uh, and uh, how, like, what expectations, right? Set expectations. How often you think you might be able to visit and enjoy the benefits, or how often you might be drinking the wine, right? But just don't be put off uh, when at the end of the tasting, the associate will ask you if you want to. Uh, purchase bottles or join club. It's just a part of kind of part of the experience, right? And people may may or may not know that generally when you join a wine club, it should be on the piece of paper where you sign up that your the expectation is that you stay in the wine club for a certain amount of uh, months or a year, a certain amount of shipments. And so be aware of that. Um, I, I love being in a few wine clubs because I know I'm always getting wine that I'm interested in at some level um, delivered straight to me without me having to do anything. So I always think people should be in a few wine clubs and that that will prevent you from ever running out of wine at home. That's key. Oh, the wine clubs are super, super fun. There's so many benefits for each one of the clubs. Just do research and see which one will fit you better. It's, uh, it's amazing to be in a wine club. 
and I am personally too in a few clubs and absolutely love it. Yeah, and I encourage my staff to join wine clubs as well because then they can see, first of all, they're experiencing different wineries. Um, I always get, I was in a couple of California, well, I was in a couple, now I'm only in three, but <laughs> California wine clubs, but uh, I learned so much just from being in their wine club of things that I want to do with our club and th and like little tips that I thought I never even thought about that, but it certainly made an impact on me. And I'd like to use that for our members. I want our members to feel that same feeling that I felt uh, when I, you know, got those free glasses or I got, you know, this, or I got that phone call from um, their wine club manager. So, you know, wine clubs can be very helpful for staff as well, but I do think it's a way that, for, especially if you don't live in the area, it is a really nice way to have access to wines that you won't find in Total Wine or Specs or HEB um, and to, to have access to new releases, um, wine club only releases. You really get to see, again, back to the artistry of the winemaker, you get to see what they like to do and what gets them excited and, you know, maybe a small batch that they're only doing for wine club. That's very exciting to be a part of that. Yeah, I feel like in this, in the, our, when you're part of the club, every single bottle has a story. Literally, every single bottle comes with a story. Uh -huh. that's, that's very eloquent. That's why I have so much wine at home, because I <laughs> fall for all these stories. I mean, not that they're not entirely true, but I, I'm really into everybody's personal story and the story of the wine. And now well, I have Kelly, a lot of wine at home. Victoria and I are happy to come over anytime. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. We can volunteer our personal time. <laughs> Please come see me. I'm hoping that things are starting to open up a little bit more and that maybe there will be some fun things in Dallas at some point after harvest. We shall see. Yeah. I have a list of few things I was going to mention okay. because uh, there's certain certain aspects, certain things that people just might not be simply aware of, right? So and it's just worth mentioning. For example, let's say you are traveling, you cannot take any bottles with you in a suitcase, right? Which is very common, right? Lots of wineries do offer shipping. Yeah. So just ask about shipping. Lots of wineries ship outside of state. Uh, also, lots of wineries will provide you with shipping boxes, right? Like if we know we have, for example, we don't ship outside of Texas, but if we do have guests coming from out of state and they would love to take some bottles back with them, we have empty boxes we always have in the back. All you need to do is ask, we'll bring them over. You can pack them and have them as your check-in luggage. Easy peasy. Yes. Don't let that stop you. Uh, also, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but not everyone's aware. You can share a tasting. Two people can split one tasting. You don't have each one of you to do a tasting. If you don't feel like it, if you go to multiple wineries, or maybe you just love whites and your husband just like red. So you can always split a tasting. It's okay. Not a problem at all. Uh, another big thing that we see quite often, so both Uber and Lyft advertise as being available to drive you to and from the winery in the hill country, but in reality, it's not quite true. You might be able to get to the winery, 
but then you're stuck at the winery and it's really hard to get Uber or a Lyft to come back, pick you up. Quite often, we drove people ourselves outside of our winery. You will see people sometimes stuck for two hours straight. Mm. So it helps a lot to arrange. Maybe if you are taking Uber, maybe take a card for that Uber driver and ask him if he can come back at a certain time to pick you up at this location or just draw, uh, or just hire a tour operator or a driver. There are tour, plenty of uh, companies out there. They can either... Uh, make all their appointments for you or you can create your own itinerary and they just drive you around but that we see it all the time and I feel horrible for people being stuck and not being able to get out of the winery because they're hoping Uber or Lyft will come and pick them up well and and to piggyback on that I think I was just listening on the way in NPR was doing a, a story on aggressive driving and how many how the rate of accidents has really gone up um the cost of a of a driver hiring a driver for the day is so much less than the cost of a DWI or the cost of a hospital bill. So if you think you're going to do three wineries, you're going to need a designated driver. Um, and I would highly recommend you find there are so many good companies um, in this area who are willing to do that. Um, and even this is, this doesn't help Victoria or me because we're out of their range, but the 290 wine shuttle, um, you pay one price and they will drop you off at a, at a certain number of wineries out in the hill country. Um, and that is more than worth the price that you pay for that service. And one super obvious thing might be super obvious, but not everyone realizes that it's Texas. It's hot. Do not leave your precious bottles in the car. That's going to destroy the wine. Don't ever leave your bottles in a hot car. A couple of things you can do. You can bring a cooler with you, just cheap cooler, uh, and stick your wines in the cooler. Or I bet you pretty much every single winery will let you to bring the wines inside the tasting room while you're tasting. Just don't leave it in the car. It's going to destroy your wine. Those signs that say no outside alcohol. If you are bringing bottles of wine in that you're holding near you while you do the tasting, nobody is going to object to that. We all understand. We would we would want you to treat our wines with the same respect. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend having a cooler in the back of the car. Even one of those cheap styrofoam will get you through the day. Um, but it you don't want your wines to get wines above 80 degrees are going to be cooked. Thanks, Donna, Renee, and Victoria. See you in the tasting room. And if you're listening and wondering where to do some research on Texas wineries, I have a few tips for you. Check out Texas Wine Lover website, of course, especially the wine trails and the map feature. And there's a new Texas Wine Lover app coming out soon. And of course, you can read blog posts on visits to many Texas wineries. Also, download the Vind app for suggestions and itineraries, including some suggested by me. And also check out Texas Tasting Trail app, which includes suggestions on not just wineries, but places to enjoy spirits, beer, mead, and cider too. And don't forget about the trade associations in the area where you'll be visiting, like the Texas Hill Country Wineries and North Texas Wine Country.
If you find yourself needing a place to stay in Fredericksburg, be sure to look up Cork and Cactus, my two king bedroom, one bath place, less than a mile from Main Street. If any podcast listeners actually book Cork and Cactus, I'll help you with your itinerary for Fredericksburg. Just email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com and I'll help you figure out what to do. Come enjoy the Texas wine country and get away from it all at Cork and Cactus. Find it on Airbnb or book at heavenlyhost.com. Now it's time for demerits and gold stars. A huge demerit goes out to the Drinks Business website for publishing an article on the top 10 wine-producing states that just flat out leaves Texas completely off the list. Where's the fact-checking there? Their source is a site called World Population Review, and I'm not going to spend any more time on this except to say that my head hurts from all the bad information that you can find online these days. I could give several more examples, but I'll stop there. And my gold star goes out to wineries that are staying open a little later some nights. Of course, Vinovium in Johnson City is the OG in this regard. They've been staying open late forever. But now, more and more wineries are choosing a specific day of the week and offering a late-night experience. I've seen this in the Hill Country especially, but let me know what I'm missing from other places around the state. Here are just a few. Siboney Cellars offers twilight tastings on Thursday evenings. Abastris has extended hours on Fridays, and William Chris has been offering sunsets at the vineyard on Saturdays during September. Be sure to call ahead and inquire about extended hours as these are subject to change. Get in touch. Email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com, and I'm at texaswinepod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Show notes and more can be found at thisistexaswine.com. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. I'll be back in two weeks with Mr. Don Pullum of Mason, Texas. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.